You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Morning, everybody. Excited that you're here joining us in person and online. Pretty exciting day as I flip that over. There we go. Uh, like Katie said, we're just rolling on all the Kingdom Builders stuff, uh, everything that we've been hoping for. I'm going to slide this back a little bit and see if I can. Eh, maybe. Eh. Second verse, same as the first. Um, But uh, we're really excited for Kingdom Builders. If you don't know what Kingdom Builders is, it is our fund of engaging above and beyond generosity to reach the world around us. And it's really been fascinating to see how God's begun to move as we've been pledging and believing uh, in in the different ways, both in global missions, local outreach, and future church expansion. And that has been honestly so exciting. And uh, I encourage you, if you have not checked out Kingdom Builders and you have not prayed about becoming a Kingdom Builder, go on online to banner.church slash kingdom builders or uh, we have some info at the back for you can just snag on your way out to pray about it because it's really exciting and like Katie said the the first project is our Christmas at uh, Tonalea except this year it's going to be here because we want to be able to provide food and bounce houses and uh, different kinds of things and schools have wised up to the liability of bounce houses and so (laughs) and stuff like that and we want to open it up to not only partner with Tonalea who's our closest partnership, obviously, but to open it up to other schools around the area as well and really engage in the different schools we're now getting into as we've been faithful in giving generously and serving generously. So really excited about that. Uh, If you want to bring a toy, we got a table back there for people to drop off toys. If you want to drop off toys, I encourage you maybe do that Christmas shopping a little early. If you don't have the news or the internet, uh, not a lot of things in the store right now, Um, you know, political affiliations aside. Uh, not a lot of things in the store, and uh, I was talking to our Toys for Tots people, and they are very concerned that they will get enough toys donated, and so just go now and get them now and be early. Before you put up any Christmas decor, buy get a toy. There we go. Uh, but we're really blessed in your Kingdom Builders generosity because we've been able to get all the vendors locked in, and it, it is going to be awesome. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, it's going to be great. But something else cool that happened this week is that we launched our youth ministry, our banner youth here, our awesome kids team as as uh, uh, Austin and Delaney. Austin's just going hard on this burrito over here. Uh, kids team gets burritos. They do a burrito day in kids team. It's pretty dope. Kids team is cool. Uh, but they did they did an awesome youth night. If you don't follow us on social media, you might not have seen this really cool picture of all the kids trying to eat these donuts from a string without their hands. It was pretty great. I was enjoying it. Uh, It was pretty funny. Uh, If you are a teen or you have a teen in your family, and and it's 6 to 12, not like 18, but, you know, uh, well, I guess if you're in high school and you're 18, that works. Uh, But anybody in school, any students, any youth, we would love to get you plugged in. So uh, let us know. Talk to us after service, and that is a fantastic ministry. But today we're starting a new series, and it's kind of interesting. We are one week after Halloween, and I'm curious how many of you have already put up some form of Christmas decor. Be honest. Be real. Awesome. Love it. Okay, I'm going to raise my hand too. So we're we're together here. Uh, I have already put up one form of Christmas decor. I would say we've got a lot of things dividing the nation right now. Nothing seems to divide us more than when to do Christmas decor. 
right? There's like a couple camps when it comes to Christmas. There's the like, I would literally have Christmas up year round if you let me. Then over here, there's the, if you put up Christmas decor before Thanksgiving, I'm going to burn this house to the ground, right? That's the home I grew up in. Like, don't you dare dishonor the pilgrims with your snowman. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay, they're dead. They don't care. Uh, uh, and then in the middle is kind of like, I think where most of us live. This is where I live. I live right here. I can't afford all these different seasonal decors. I have children, okay? It's too hot to go out and buy pumpkins and straw and hay. I, I don't, I'm not crafty enough for that, and I don't have the budget for that because I'm going to try to save it for Christmas presents. So my decor goes like this. Nothing Christmas. That's my decor. <laughs> and then if the Christmas lights stay up a little longer, it's New Year's lights, and then they come down, all right? And then maybe spring lights, depending on the year I'm having, right? <laughs> Spring training lights. Uh, that's what I put up. But uh, that's where I stand. It's just, it's purely budgetary. It's nothing personal. Uh, but, I, but I agree with you hardcore Thanksgivingites over here, and that I agree that Thanksgiving does give us a moment to reflect on a very important principle. And as much as I love Christmas, there's something about reflecting on Thanksgiving, reflecting on the idea of Thanksgiving, regardless of the holidays that I find so crucial. I think it's interesting that this country in many ways is incredibly wealthy, uh, decently healthy, give or take, uh, decently safe. Like compared to world history, I'm talking about here. Be like, you might be like, my neighborhood is none of those things. Agreed, it might not be. But compared to like world history and global history and other countries, it's, we're doing all right. And yet, some of the healthiest and wealthiest are incredibly depressed, are extremely anxious, and are very stressed. Right? Like, if you talk to somebody now, you're going to hear two things. One, I'm busy. Two, I'm stressed. They're going to tell you their back hurts. They're going to tell you they're tired. They're going to tell you they didn't sleep right. Right? It's like we lead with that. For some reason, 90% of the population is completely miserable and yet can still pay their bills. Like, what is that? What are we missing? Because they say, like, you know, money can't bring happiness. Like, apparently not. We're missing something. And the thing I think culturally that we're missing is thankfulness. We're missing thankfulness. See, there is a beauty and a joy to living a thankful life. That's why this series is called The Joy of Living Thankful. Living a life of thankfulness. Living out thankfulness. You know, some series as we do, series, Siri, I don't know, that we do... Uh, are very, like, in-depth. Like, they're very—when I say in-depth, they're all in-depth. I work hard for all of them. But, like, they're very intense. Like, we're doing, like, judges or, like, angels and demons, right? You know, they're very intense. Or, like, kingdom builders is really intense. This—if I could give you, like, an impression of what this sermon series is going to be like and why you should come all four weeks throughout November is because this series is going to be, like, a deep breath out. If I could capture the, the aesthetic of this series and how you will head into the Christmas season is— how many of you need that in your life? It's a nice and deep breath out. It's interesting. I was reading um, on the Harvard Medical Journal online. You can go online and read all these awesome, crazy uh, studies that they do. And they combine a lot of studies. And one of the studies I was reading was called Giving Thanks. And it looked at studies from different uh, scientists around the country about 
studying thankfulness. You're like, I didn't know they do that. They study everything, guys. Paper, rocks, right? Ideas, everything is studied, yeah. Everything gets studied. Someone is studying something because they want the grant money, right? <laughs> Someone's studying anything possible. So they studied giving thanks. So there was a joint study of UC Davison, University of Miami, and what they did together is they, they took three groups of people. Group one had to record every day, all week, had to record only things they were thankful for. They'd, they'd write about in this journal. Group two could only record in the journal things that they were displeased or irritated with. You're like, I already know where this is going. <laughs> the third group could write whatever they wanted. Pleasure, displeasure, whatever, whatever they thought, things they were thankful for, things they were upset about. At the end of 10 weeks of the study, group one, the thankful people, were more, uh, you know, according, they do a study, they do a, a test results, they interview them afterwards, right? They were more optimistic. They physically felt better. They reported that their body felt, this is the power of your mind, felt physically better, and they had fewer trips to the doctor, the group that chose to be thankful. It's interesting. There was a study at the University of Pennsylvania where they took over 400 people, and the goal was to test the impact of various positive psychological interventions. So things that you could do to help be positive. And so one of the things they had them do is they had them write a letter of gratitude to someone who they felt they never properly thanked for their kindness. Did you know that that was the most... Uh, that was the highest scoring result of positive psychological interventions. It was the most uh, successful. As they recorded, they had a scale for happiness. The people who engaged in that one were happier than any other of the outcomes they tested. Harvard did a long study on optimistic and thankful people. They took 700,000 women over 10 years. So that's a big group. That's a lot of work, right? 700,000 women over 10 years. And they found as they studied 700,000 women over 10 years that those who were optimistic and generally thankful had a 40% or a lower risk of death from heart attack and stroke. Yes, yeah, so remember when you stress out your mom? She'd be like, you're going to give me a stroke. You're killing your mother. She was just giving you science. Right? She was being scientific. You thought she was being dramatic. She was being scientific. She was bringing Harvard studies to you, and you were eight, and you had no idea what she was talking about, you know, your little Einstein science kit. There's another study on relationships. They found that individuals who expressed gratitude for their partner ended up feeling more positive towards their partner and also more comfortable expressing concerns. So people in relationships where they spoke more positively to each other were also more, a uh, more clearly able and uh, able to be more comfortable expressing their concerns. Kind of an interesting study that they tagged on there that I thought was uh, clever. And see if you catch this is in, they did it with children. They, they studied children. And so the children delivered thank you cards to someone who made a difference in their life. And they found that the person that got the thank you card felt gratitude and joy. They felt happier. But it said the kids reported basically a nominal or non-existent increase in their happiness. And so the study, I kid you not, says this. We've found a link between low gratitude and low emotional maturity. 
I'll leave that right there. <laughs> That's another sermon. <laughs> Some of you are like, what, we're a sermon about kids? Yeah, sure, we're still talking about children, <laughs> if you need to think that. <laughs> But thankfulness has a massive impact on our body. And I love reading these things because I, I'm a, I know we've turned the word science into a unique dogma and almost a religion. But science is the observation of the natural world, right? It's a discipline, right? I like science because as scientists go deeper and deeper in studying the natural world, you know what they find? There's constantly things they don't have an answer for. I love that. I love when you read scientific studies and they're like, yeah, we looked at this cell, we looked at this thing, and like, you, you know, you read about, um, you know, like, let's say at the atomic, the molecular level, how things separate, right? Like, there's, a mil there's spaces all in this table. There's spaces all in my hand. And yet when I go like this, it doesn't just pass through. And you know, the answer to why it doesn't pass through, we don't know. I love that. <laughs> like, well, one's tighter though. Trust me, it's fascinating. I love it. It's incredible. Science is great. But what science is observing here is something that Scripture has been reporting for centuries. It's something that Scripture has been telling us for generations upon generations, which is where your heart is focused, where your heart, where your mind, where your body, where your soul is focused will determine your joy. Thankfulness leads to joyfulness. See, often when we talk about things like joy, like we're going to do Advent, and we'll talk about joy. Joy is part of Advent. We're like, be joyful. And you're like, okay, what do I do? It's like, go out and be happy. It's like, no, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> the very fact you're telling me that tells me you have no idea what's going on in my life, right? Like, just go be happy. Go be joyful. So what it can inspire joy, because joy is an incredible aim, to live joyfully, to walk joyfully with the Lord. Not only does it make me healthier, <laughs> but it's better for my heart and my soul. See, it begins not with the mindset, not, not with the situation, but with the heart that is thankful. And I want to read a psalm to you today because I think the psalmist does such an incredible job describing this idea of thankfulness. And before we talk about thankfulness in your situation, before we talk about uh, anxiety, before we talk about all these things, these really great things that are about thankfulness, before we talk about thanksgiving, any of these things, I, I feel like we need to look at the root, the core of thankfulness. And the psalmist does a great job. Let's go to Psalm 100, and uh, we're going to read the whole psalm. If you're like, oh my gosh, don't worry. It's literally five verses. It's not that big. It's a chill, it's a chill psalm. Uh, but it is a fantastic psalm. And if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. The words will be up on the screen. It says this. Everyone still with me? Awesome. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Look at all these exclamation marks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen? I like Psalm 100 because Psalm 100 is kind of like the end of a set list. Now, there's more than a hundred psalms, but this psalm is at the end of a collection of psalms. Not all psalms are written by the same person, or at the same time, or about the same thing, right? 
And so this is a collection from Psalm 93 to Psalm 100. This is that last song on the set list that's driving it home, right? So when, you know, you go see Willie Nelson, this is Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. If this is Taylor Swift, it's that one song that makes y'all cry. I don't know what it is. Uh, if this is, uh, let's see, who else? Motley Crue? No, never mind. It's fine. We'll stop there. <laughs> Dr. Dre? I'm like, I don't know. Anyways, doesn't matter. This is the last one on the set list, right? Uh, <laughs> and what's unique about this song is it's kind of a recognition of everything that has been said before. And I love how it is composed. I I like writing music, and so and I enjoy poetry. Uh, yeah. And so when people write a good one, you're just like, man, I really resound with this. So this is beautiful to me because it has three sections. The first section, and your scripture might be divided up like this. When I copy it, it's not divided, but in your Bible, it might be divided up like this. There's a directive. There's an invitation, and then there's an assurance. And within this psalm, there's actually six imperatives. Look at this with me, if you can. Feel free to throw that back up there. Look at these imperatives. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord. Come into His presence. Know that the Lord is God. Enter His gates. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. Make, serve, come, know, enter, give thanks. And really at the heart of these imperatives, these six imperatives, is the word no. Someone say no. Oh, oh man. That was the quietest Pentecostal no. I have Somebody say no. no. See, it's even ironic because then you're shouting, see, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> say this no. See, it, good. It, it, it doesn't matter. We've moved on. The moment's gone, guys. <laughs> but the middle one, the middle one is no, K-N-O-W, not N-O like my son says, K-N-O-W. Know that the Lord is God. Know, acknowledge, have a cognitive recognition, understand, begin to grasp, begin to look upon, acknowledge that the Lord is good. This is the central imperative of this psalm. Everything revolves around this moment. This is that big, uh, you know, when you hear that Bon Jovi song and it's like, whoa, oh, living on a prayer, and you're like, if you miss everything, you got to hit that. That's this moment, right? Know. Know that the Lord is God. And it matters because the foundation of thankfulness is knowing. The foundation of our worship is knowing a central truth about the one that we worship. And let me break this down and explain these verses right here. It's knowing a central truth about the one we worship. And that is, what does it say? The Lord is God. The Lord, He is God. Capital G. See, there's many gods, lowercase g, false gods, idols, calling for our worship every day. The God of fame, the God of money, the God of selfishness. It's just every God in culture pretty much, right? But this God, saying, the Lord, He is God. Who is this God? Well, it follows it up. It says, he, the Lord, He is God, the one who made us. That's powerful. 
I love this in two senses he made us. First sense is we were created by him. If, you go, if you've never opened a Bible, you go to the very first part. That's Genesis. That is our Genesis. Right? That's the Genesis of the story. It's also the Genesis of the story of redemption that we, that we see throughout all of Scripture. But it says we were created in God's image. But not only that, he created us in his image to walk in his presence. Sin ruined that. But we were created in the image of God. But what I love, too, is that he also saved us. This Psalm 100, this was written before Jesus came. So when he's talking about we are his, he's talking to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel were the children of God. But they were children by the covenant. Somebody say covenant. Covenant. They were children by the covenant that God made with Abraham. Here's what's awesome. You might not know this, but you live after a time where Jesus came, died for your sins, and was resurrected, which means you are part of the new covenant. So if you're not Jewish, you're still okay. Right? I'm not Jewish. I'm still in. How? Because the new covenant is not by Abraham in the sense that you have to be born in the lineage, but that we are adopted in as children of God. And that's what he says. He says, we are his. We are his people. Look at that. We are his. We are his people. So in the sense that we are his, we belong to him. But not like my couch belongs to me, right? We belong to him in a sense, in a way we belong to him, because what we are his people. The Hebrew word there is amo. The root of that word is am, which means family. That's like saying my people and my, but the root is my family. It's different. Translating's hard. Like, just much love to the people who translate the word of God into other languages, Right? It's like, how do you pick the right thing? Because you pick people, because that's right, but it also kind of means family. It's like in like 300 years when people are going to try to uh, interpret your tweets into whatever language that we that speak in the future, and they pull up your old Instagram page that's been like buried in the back distance of the metaverse. They're going to be like, who are the boys? Right? All, all this, all I see is like the boys, the boys. Yeah, well, with the boys, like he just hung out with a lot of young kids. Like, right? Because that's what the word means, right? We're literally translating, right? So if you're hanging out with boys, I mean, we need to have a discipleship meeting, right? <laughs> what does that mean? Because there's a cultural emphasis, right? There's a, in our culture, if you didn't know, right? If you're like, oh, I'm going to hang out with my boys, those are your guys. That's your crew. Those are your people, right? That, that's, your, that's like your family. That's your group, right? If you're like, oh, yeah, we're going out with the girls, right? It's like, there's a kind of culturally understood thing there. It's the same thing we're talking about people, family. There's a kind of people that are closer than just people, right, in a broad sense. Saying, we are his people, his chosen people. We're not just any people. We're special to him. I don't know if you knew this, but you are actually special to the Lord. You matter to him. And he gives us a term for how much you matter. He says, we are the sheep of his pasture. The word there, flock, the people of his pasture. The same language is used in Psalm 95 where he says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hands. The psalmist is speaking to the people of Israel, and he's saying, God cares for you. Now, they lived in an agricultural setting, 
And a lot of us here don't today. And so we can see agriculture and agricultural examples as being like cold. Like we live in a world that's like anti-meat now because we think if a cow exists, it must be being treated poorly, which is like a whole soapbox for me, so we won't go there. Um, <laughs> but the reality is that in agricultural settings, if you've ever raised animals, even if they're for the slaughter, you love those things. <laughs> My, my aunt raises uh, Highlander cows. They're these big fuzzy cows with long—they're amazing. They would never live here, uh, but they're great. They work in Washington, not here. Just poof, drop down in the summer. Um, and they, they're going to—I mean, at the end of their life is the end of their life, right? That's, there's a day on the calendar. But man, does she love those things, Right? Like if some if it hurts its hoof, she's out there. When it's gonna give birth, she's like sleeping in the stable. They're like laying in the hay. That's what agri that's what a shepherd does, right? Carries the hurt sheep. Have you ever have you seen a sheep? I know we got this Jesusy picture of the lamb. Have you seen a sheep recently or smelled a sheep recently? Just go to the petting zoo, lift one of those bad boys up onto your shoulders, right? <laughs> that's love. That's love. That's love, right? <laughs> he says, we're the sheep. I know we got all these negative connotations, like, I'm not a sheep. I'm a, right? this, he calls us his sheep because he loves us. There's a tenderness. There's a care. There's a shepherding. And through Jesus, we have all become the sheep, the flock, the children. Romans 9, 24. Paul says, even us whom he's called, not from the Jews only, but from the Gentiles. As indeed, as he says in Hosea. Okay, you're like, Hosea? Okay, Old Testament. Like, I know when you grew up, maybe you thought Old Testament God was mean God. But I, just, I need you to hear what Old Testament God thinks about you. Because I think when we see the God of the Old Testament, I, I don't think he's as mean as you might have think. Here's what he says. This is what it says in Hosea. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. That's Old Testament God, like scary uncle's church kind of God, right? You know, that church you go to because you're on vacation and they make you go to church and, they're kind of, and then they get up and it's a little fiery and you're a little concerned and you were eight and you didn't think you'd learn so much about hell. You know what I'm talking about. Or is it just me? Okay, cool. So just me, only I've had that terrifying experience. Cool, it's fine. It just shattered my future. But it's not a big deal. But the Old Testament in Hosea, you know what God says about you, us Gentiles? You are beloved. I thought he was scary. Why would he say that we're beloved? That's a very tender term. Because it turns out God, God doesn't change. You are loved from the beginning. And through Jesus, you are called sons of the living God. What Psalm 100 establishes for Israel is fulfilled in all of Christ. We are the ones that God loves. We are the ones that God cares for. I hope you're hearing to me today. As a shepherd cares for his sheep, so God cares for you. Like, why does that matter? Because this is a powerful statement. If we could get our mind around this. In knowing God, we begin to know ourselves. Because to know that he is God who made us is to know that we are the people he loves. Hear me say that one more time so you can hear it. I think so much would change about how we approach the Lord if we understood our adoption through Jesus Christ. To know that he is God who made us is to know that we are the people he loves. And this knowing is the spring, the wellspring, from which all actions of worship 
flow. Why do we sing? Why do we come and do this musical act of worship? Many acts of worship. Why do we do this musical act of worship? Why do we come and sing songs? Why do we come and sing praises? I mean, true. Scripture does command us to do that. It's in Scripture. There's a calling. There's a command to praise the Lord. Right? It literally, you know what it says? Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Do it. But why do we do it? Like the big reason is because we are thankful for God. As we begin to understand from this knowledge of who God is and who we are comes the invitation to enter His presence with songs of thanksgiving. Songs of thanksgiving come from a recognition of who God is. It's an overflow. That's why the psalmist can then go into verse 4 and say, now that you're coming from this perspective, not the perspective of your situation, not the perspective of your week, not the perspective of how you feel, the perspective of who God is and your identity through Him. From that perspective, he says, basically like, therefore, enter His gates with thanksgiving. With that mindset, with that heart focus, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. What an awesome invitation. This is how we come before the Lord. The first step is to be thankful, to recognize who he is and who he has said we are. And from that, we can step in and enter into a place of praise. Thankfulness is inspired by first knowing, and the joy of living thankful starts in knowing God and then knowing who he says we are. And the psalmist says, come in praise with that heart, with that mindset. I remember when I would lead worship, there were some profound moments in my life where things were going, like, they were, they were difficult. And then I had to come in and lead. Or sometimes I'd be, like, out late doing a show or something the night before and come in. It'd be like 11.30, we had to go on stage. I'm pointing at because we were in a band. 11.30, we'd go on stage. And then the campus that, that we led worship at had five services. So at 6 o'clock in the morning, I would have to be at one of the things, and I would have to sing five times. We would do four songs. So, you know, there we go. A lot of singing plus an altar call. You know, it's a whole thing. Band, don't feel bad about two. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> We'll get to five. Just wait. <laughs> but when you come in to lead worship, if you didn't know, there's a lot of happens that behind the scene. Because a lot of people, some people come in, they're like, yeah, let's get it. We're here to praise the Lord. Some people are just like, when they come in to lead worship, there's like dragging. It's like they have an IV drip of coffee hooked up to their body. They're just dragging it behind them. They're just like, I need anything to make it, right? And so oftentimes what you'll see on a Sunday is people joyfully praising God, even though when I saw them at 6.30, they looked like they had yet to rise from the dead. <laughs> and people say, well, yeah, that's because the church is fake. Everybody in the church wears masks. Like, that's not what that means. Something is happening to get them from there to here. And it's not that—I mean, I, I was here this morning— is the joy that I'm praising God with amidst my circumstances fake? No. It's because, and I used to do this when, we lead, when, when I would lead worship, is we'd come in, you have people from all different backgrounds and struggles. You got people fighting diseases. You got people struggling in relationships. And they're coming before to get up on stage and praise God and say, I affirm the words we're singing. So how do you do that? We would talk to the team, and I would just say right there, like, how's your heart? What's your heart focused on today? Before we go up there, 
What's your heart focused on? Let's focus it on Jesus. Because then what happens, the joy you see from the platform is not fake. The joy you see from the platform is a declaration over our own lives as worshipers. That I, I'm not going to stay depressed. I'm not going to stay beat down. I'm not going to give the enemy more ground. I'm going to sing out the joyful praise because the more I begin to remember who God is and who he says I am, the more I just want to praise him. The more I want to celebrate him. What you're seeing up on a, on a platform where people lead is not people being fake. It's people putting in work in the spirit. Saying, man, you know what? I do not, I do not feel good. I've been fighting this sickness. I've been fighting this, this feeling and, and these things going on. But I'm going to come before God and I'm going to praise him amidst my struggles. And I'm going to thank him amidst what I'm facing. And I'm going to believe the word of God and I'm going to do work in the spirit. It's not fake. It's not a performance. It's just awesome. See, the joy in living thankful starts in knowing who God is and who he says he is. And then the psalmist says, okay, now enter into that place. Enter into that place of praise. But I love it is that he doesn't leave us there in just a command to enter in. He gives us something beautiful. He gives us an assurance. Does anyone here have like a favorite song that when it comes on, you have to sing it? You have to. Like, it doesn't matter. Libra you're in a library, it's happening. You'll get kicked out. You don't need a library card, right? <laughs> They're getting kicked out. I have songs like that in my life. Yesterday, uh, my wife, she's a, became a cycle instructor. And so, yeah, she's good at everything. It's crazy. Um, and so we did like this ride with her and a bunch of people came out and supported her. It was awesome. And I, I was pumped because she played a lot of songs that I like. And so like half the ride, I'm just there like singing along because I can't help myself. So I'm just like riding my bike. Like I was like behind Heather and I was just like, I'm pedaling, just like singing and having a good time. That's how I ride a bike. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's the most effective way to ride. It's how you get the speed is the, <laughs> the windmill, whatever that's called. <laughs> but I love that when it comes to singing. I love that when it comes to declaration because I love music. And to me, this psalm is like perfect. It's so perfect because the flow of it is so good. He says like, come on, let's go worship. Let's go praise God. Let's go praise Him. Let's go worship Him. They're like, why? He's like, because we know who He is. And we know who He's made us to be. And then it's like, okay, is that why we're praising? Yes, but also there's an assurance. Because not only is this who He is and this is what He made us to be, but this is what He's done for us. I love it. Not only is this what He's done, but this is our assurance for the future. And I love the wisdom of Scripture that thousands of years later we're reading this and it's still applicable. Like, you could be watching online 25 weeks ago and this Scripture is still good for your life. Because <laughs> he says in verse 5, look at verse 5 with me. For the Lord is good. Here's your assurance. For the Lord is good. Somebody say good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I love this. What was implicit in verse 3 is now explicit in verse 5. The Lord is good. Hear me this morning. If you're writing notes, I, I want you to write this down. Thankfulness finds its assurance in the goodness of God. Thankfulness finds its assurance in the goodness of God. 
Scripture says, the Lord is good. How is he good? (laughs) Remember I said Psalm 100 is like the end of a set list. Here's what he said about the Lord leading up, 93 to 100. Psalm 93, 1. The king who is robed in majesty and armed with strength is good. Psalm 94, 1. The God of vengeance is good. Psalm 95, 3. The great king above all gods is good. Not polytheistic. He's just saying all these other false gods. Psalm 96, 10. The God who will judge all peoples fairly is good. Psalm 97, 1. The God before whom every false item in God must bow is good. Psalm 98, 2. The God who has revealed his righteousness to every nation is good. Psalm 99, 8. The God who has answered as a pillar of fire is good. And Psalm 103, the God who made us to be his people is good. Hear me. This is who God is. God doesn't just do good things. He is good. He is, it is his character, it is his being, he is good. And the great thing about God is he is perfect, so there's no like 98% goodness. It's all good. He is good. He's not like, oh man, blew that one, right? He's all, he is good. He is completely good. And I think that's an important assurance when things don't feel very good, Right? When things don't feel very good, the assurance is that God is still good. This is what's different. Christianity is not a religion about enlightenment, attainment, nirvana, raising yourself up to a different plane or a different level. There's no levels, you know, in, of heaven and different things you got to try to get up into. It is not about that. We have a God whose goodness transcends our circumstances. It's not limited or contained by our circumstances. And yet, we have a God, we have Jesus, who steps down into our circumstances in our suffering and suffers with us and meets us with his unfailing love. We have a God who's not saying, yes, suffer through this and prove that I can lift you up to another plane. We have a God who steps down into our circumstances and says, look, I have also suffered. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. I'm here to be with you, to bring life to you, to walk alongside you, to deliver you, to give you life, to give you hope. That's why we say through Jesus Christ there's hope for every future and healing through every past. It's not by our power. It's by Jesus. That's our assurance that God is good. I'm going to step down, he says be with you with my unfailing love see his faithful love is the security of his goodness here's what I mean God is not insecure about his goodness right he knows I haven't asked him personally but based on the word he seems pretty confident of it (laughs) seems confident I am a human being I'm the one who struggles with it I'm the one who needs security. I'm the one who needs securing. I'm the one who needs a safe place. I'm the one who needs rest. I'm the one who needs not only assurance, but reassurance. Somebody, (laughs) right? Okay, Lord, I read this in Scripture. How do I know it's going to continue? That was great that you did that for Paul. It's great that you were good then. What about now, right? What about today? What's my assurance? It says in verse 5, His steadfast love endures forever. How long is forever? 
forever. Like, forever. When does it end? Never. <laughs> it's eternal. That's why it's eternal life. God wants you to live in relationship with him and experience his faithful love, not only now, but for eternity. See, choosing to follow Christ isn't like, oh, I'm going to escape hell. It's like, man, I want to live in the faithful love of Christ forever and also escape hell. <laughs> so he's faithful to generation. His love never fails. He is faithful to every generation. We are, or he is our God forever. We are his people forever. We are the sheep he cares for forever. His goodness does not mean an end. His love does not mean an end. He's never met a person he doesn't love. He will never stop loving a person that he loves. Sometimes we stop, but he doesn't. But his goodness and how, especially how Scripture declares his goodness and tells us of his goodness is a never-ending source of assurance that builds within us a spirit of thankfulness. We can be thankful because he's good. See, we don't bring songs of thanksgiving because everything is perfect in life. I think we think that that's, that's the answer. It's like when it's perfect, then we can begin to be thankful. And yet when we look at the psalmist, uh, they lived lives of all kinds of chaos and drama. I mean, think about David. He was hunted. He was attacked. He's made some huge mistakes. His own kids hated him. I don't know what your family life is like, but uh, unless your children have raised an army and taken up arms against you, David, David's family life is pretty messy, right? It's, it's right up there with whatever you got going on. It's real messy, right? His own son it was like, you know what? What if we just, I don't know, get a lot of people together and kill my dad? Like, whoa, okay, right? I mean, that's drama. That's going to make Christmas hard, right? <laughs> So how then do we see David living thankful in all seasons? One of my favorite psalms happens after he's kicked out of his home by his own son. He's riding away, and he sees his son with all of his concubines on the roof doing all kinds of things. And he rides away, and he writes a song about how he, is, he praises God. I'm just like, I'm sorry, what? How does David weave together things like, all I eat is my own tears and your steadfast love endures forever? How is that possible? That's the most confusing number one hit on earth. I know some of y'all listen to some emotional singer-songwriters, but that has it beat, right? <laughs> I don't care how many Jonas Brothers they are. They're not getting that emotional. <laughs> it's really fascinating. How? How do we see him coming with thanksgiving to the Lord? Because David's thankful heart is renewed by focusing on God's goodness. See, thankfulness, if you're writing notes, write this down, is renewed by God's goodness. Bad, you can come up. Thankfulness is renewed by God's goodness. It's not renewed by my circumstances, though I am thankful for things in my circumstances. It's renewed by God's goodness. I remember, you know, it's actually been on the 5th of this month. It was four years. It was Banner Church's four-year birthday in this space right here, which is pretty awesome. Amen? Awesome. Really great considering one of those, one and a half years of that was COVID. So I'm, I'm feeling like we're rocking and rolling, guys. Uh, not only is there a bright future, but we're really excited about what God is doing now. Amen? But there was a week when we were going into this building where, um, you know, we've all had those weeks where it sucked. Right? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, like every week, right? That's my life right now. <laughs> and that's reasonable. 
But I was having one of those weeks, and I was very frustrated. And people try to help when you're frustrated, right? They say they try to point out, like, all the good stuff, right? And they make, like, a little scale. Like, well, I know, like, this sucks, but you have a car, right? Or it's like, you're not in a war-torn country. And it's like, oh, okay, thank goodness, everything's fine now. I'm not in a war-torn country. I don't know if people have tried this with you, but it just kind of makes me more frustrated. And I know the heart is good, but for me, it's like, you know, uh, some of you, you're chronically ill, and people are like, yeah, but you have a great family. And you're like, yeah, but I, I'm still mad about this. I'm still discouraged here. People start to count your blessings for you as if a way to tell you, like, don't be upset because they're uncomfortable with how you're feeling. I think there's a better way than that. I think there's a better way than that. And I want to encourage you with a better way. There's all kinds of, like, pop psychology on Instagram right now about, you know, feel your feelings and do your things and whatever. I want to give you some biblical wisdom here. In that moment when I was so frustrated, I just went out, and I was led by Scripture just to be thankful to the Lord, just to thank Him. There's all these things. You know what I'm talking about when you start your prayer with, like, God, where are you? Right? It's like that's how you're leaning in, like, speak to me. And I wanted to go with that, like, God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? As if He wasn't blessing me in other ways. I was like, you know, instead, I'm just going to thank God. All I'm going to do is thank Him for creation and who he is and what he's done. And man, if you're in a bad mood, that's hard to start. We, we got to be real here, church. That's hard. I had to start real small. Like, thank you for grass. I'm like walking in my neighborhood like, thank you for bird. Thank you for bird over here. Thank you for, nope, not that one. Thank you for that one. Right? It's just like picking things I liked because I was just so frustrated. I'm like, thank you for trees. Then I'm like, honestly, thank you for the intricacy of nature. Thank you for the beautiful design that you've made. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for creating us to live in a relationship. And then I would think about things, and I begin to kind of pull back and focus on myself, but I was just like, I, I want to think on you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you were faithful to the promise that you made to Abraham. Thank you that you were faithful when Israel walked away and acted all crazy. Thank you that you're still calling out to your children. Thank you, God, that you are powerful, that you are not weak, that you are strong and mighty. And can I tell you, as I did that, and it, it took work. I was like, I'm just going to take an hour. I'm going to go for a walk. And I started with, like, bird, grass, tree. Ended up just, like, having a moment with the Lord. It changed my heart. It's one thing to change your perspective. It's another thing to change your heart. My heart began to focus on the Lord, and as my heart began to focus on the Lord, I began to feel thankful for who He was. And that affected the other prayers where I needed God to move because I came in with a different understanding. I approached it from a different place. I had strong footing. That's how the psalmist can say, enter his courts with thanksgiving. It's not fake. It's not hype. It's just an honest refocusing on God. There are great things in my life that I'm thankful for, but they are not the source. They're certainly not the source of breakthrough for the future. I love my friends, but they're not the source. I love my wife. She's the most amazing thing ever. Still not the source. I love my kids. They're pretty cool. Still not the source. 
God is the source. The well of God's goodness will never run dry. Hear me. The well of God's, you can keep coming back and focusing and drinking from it and discovering more of who he is. It will never run dry. I just, when was the last time you actually sat down and drank from the well of God's goodness? When was the last time you focused on the beauty and simplicity of not having him just minister to your heart, but ministering to his? Coming into worship to honor his heart, to focus on his heart. And setting aside, God, speak to me, even though those are so important, but beginning with, I focus my heart on you. See, the joy of living thankful begins with knowing who God is and who you are through him. And some of us, man, today, you know what you need to do? You need to take a deep breath and just focus your heart on the Lord. See, what happens is we strive so hard to focus God's heart on us as if we're trying to turn a great ship to point in our direction. But we need to flip it around. We need to focus our hearts on Him. And as we focus our hearts on Him, you know what you'll discover? His heart is already focused on you. His love is already focused on you. He's already for you. He's already contending for you. He believes in you more than you could ever understand. He loves you more than you could ever comprehend. But instead, trying to focus God on us, we need to focus on Him. And it begins very simply by thanking Him. The joy stirs up as we begin to thank Him. Thanking Him by saying His name. I love this song. You know the song we're singing is a prophecy? You might be like, the government is on His shoulders. What? <laughs> yeah, He's up for election in 2024. I say we vote for Him. I mean, a king, right? It's got to get better. Jesus 2024. No, it's a prophecy. Talking about how the Son of God will carry all things upon Himself. Saying His name, saying His character, praising His goodness, reflecting on His love, His power, His grace, His mercy, His strength, His beauty. And I guarantee you if you do that, the requests in your heart to the Lord, the places you need breakthrough and deliverance, will feel different in that conversation. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It says, And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you today? Ask the Holy Spirit to stir up an attitude of thankfulness. Enter His courts with thanksgiving and His gates with praise, and see how it transforms your heart and your life. What about you? Would you stand with me this morning? I want to invite you to just bow your head and close your eyes. Before we enter his courts with thanksgiving and his gates with praise, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to end today by entering his courts with thanksgiving and his gates with praise. And in just a moment, the team is going to lead us in this song. And we're going to open the altar time. And just like I said in first service, I'll say again, this is a space where we believe God to move upon your life. We do it because some of you need to make that step of boldness because you've been stuck in fear. Some of you need to lay it down because you've been carrying it far too long on your shoulders. Some of you need to reject what people think about you, and you need to have a moment, just you and Jesus. And you can have it in your seat. 
But man, I want to invite you, if you need to lay it down before the Lord today and, you, and you're saying, I need you to stir up thankfulness, in just a moment when the band plays, I'm going to invite you forward. But before we do that, maybe you're hearing today and you're hearing about this joy, the joy that comes with the Lord. And you're saying, man, I need that joy. I need that eternal life to live the love of Jesus, not only today, but for all eternity. Maybe you've never made that choice to follow him. Or maybe you made that choice a long time ago and you need to say today, whatever it is, I'm choosing to follow you, Jesus, with my whole life. Scripture says if you make that choice, it says if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Today, there is hope and healing in Jesus Christ. For every person, there's hope for every future and healing for every pastor, Jesus Christ. So if that's you today and you're saying, Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life. I want to take that next step today. I'm going to invite you. Would you just lift your hand up and put it back down if you're in person or online? And we're going to pray together. Would you repeat after me today? Everybody, we're going to repeat together so we stand in unison. You might have said these things a hundred times, but it's a reassurance of your heart. Would you pray with me today? Say, dear Jesus, come on, dear Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again. Thank you for giving me new life. I surrender my heart. I receive your mercy. And I choose today to follow you with all of my heart. In your name, amen. With your eyes closed and head bowed, if you're saying today, you're here and you're like, I, I want the joy of living thankful. I want the joy of living thankful. Before I invite you up to the altar, just wherever you are, if you're saying, I want the joy of living thankful today, would you lift your hands? I want to pray for you. Say, Jesus, I want the joy of living thankful. Lord, you see us this morning. I thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength that it comes not from our circumstances, but it comes from you, God. And yet, God, I also know that you are the God who steps into our circumstances and brings deliverance and brings healing and brings restoration and brings life. So I pray, God, as we focus our hearts, not on the waves around us, but on the Christ before us. God, as we walk towards you, as we push towards you, as we reach towards you, I thank you that you have already come to us that you embrace us, that you welcome us. And I pray, God, as we step into gratitude for you and thankfulness to you, I pray you would stir up a joy upon this place this morning. I pray you would stir up a joy upon every heart as we begin to thank you for who you are, as we begin to know more of who you are and who you have said we are. I pray you would stir up a joy upon your church, not a joy that's fading or fleeting, but a joy that is secured in the glory of God, a joy that is secured in your goodness. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, God, for your goodness. Wherever you are, just take this moment to thank him. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. We thank you, Jesus, for laying your life down for us. We thank you, Jesus, for giving us new life with a gratitude in our heart. 
stir up joy in our praise. We thank you this morning. God, I pray that as we even in this moment, as we open up the altar, I pray a stirring upon every heart for the person who needs to lay it down. I pray they would lay it down. For the person who needs to step out so they can press in, I pray upon their spirit. For the person who needs healing, for the person who needs restoration, we pray a mighty move of the Holy Spirit right now upon their body, upon their minds, upon their heart, upon their spirit right now in the name of Jesus as we sing the names of God, as we worship, as we worship you, God. Let's worship together. 